Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. I love Christmas lights. So it shouldn't surprise you that my curiosity compelled me earlier this week to get on the internet and search who has the largest residential Christmas light display in the United States. That's what I wanted to know. I was just dying to know that. Well, honestly, I was also curious to see whether anyone had beaten the display that Clark Griswold built in the movie Christmas Vacation, since that came out some 30 years ago. Well, every September in LaGrangeville, New York, the Gay family begins to assemble their Guinness world record holding Christmas light display. In a recent interview with CBS News, Tim Gay, the father of the family, said his three adult children each chose to attend colleges close to home because they knew if they went too far away from home, they would not be able to come back to help with the Christmas light display the family does every year. For the record, the Gay family won the Guinness title back in 2014 with 601,736 lights. Since then, their display has grown to feature more than 641,695 lights. And you thought your light display outside was impressive, right? Well, since then, they also have choreographed it to 252 songs. Now, what I found most interesting after reading the uh, news story on CBSNews.com was that um, Tim, the father, explained that the inspiration for starting to do Christmas lights outside began with the birth of a child. When Emily, their oldest, was born, who's now 24 years old, Tim's paternal instincts compelled him to start putting Christmas lights outside so that she could experience the wonder of the season. And then it grew from there. And boy, you could say it did, right? Well, if you're considering having your family make a run at the world record next year, but maybe you're concerned about how such a large display might affect your electric bill, I just want to put you at ease. According to the Gay family, uh, and thanks in large part to LED lights, Illuminating such a display only costs them $350 per season. Not bad. Better than I thought. I know, I didn't mention the equipment costs and purchasing all the lights, but according to the scriptures, there is a light that shines brighter than any Christmas light display. And that's what I want to talk to you about this evening for the short time that we're together. I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 8, and if you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand, and uh, one of our ushers will bring one to you. One, two, we got a couple over here. I want you to be able to follow along in God's Word so that you can see where we are. I also want to encourage you to take the uh, order of service you were handed when you came in this evening. On the back side is a, a short sermon note outline, so you can follow along with where I'm going. And so, uh, as you turn there to John chapter 8... 
If we were to jump back into a time machine and all of us were to go back to junior high science class, we would be able to observe the following qualities about light. Uh, light can be used to display, uh, such as new clothes you might see in a, on a mannequin while window shopping in downtown Chicago. Or light can be used to guide. Uh, for example, runway lights guide pilots as they come in for a landing with their commercial airliners under the darkness of night so they can land safely. Lights also warn. We have warning lights on the dashboards of our cars that tell us service engine soon, something's not right. And it's better when there are no lights on, right, on our dashboard of our car. We prefer to have darkness in a sense there. Uh, lights can also be used to push back darkness, such as when you're driving at night or driving in the fog at night and you have your headlights on, they push back darkness for you, but as soon as your lights leave that segment of the road, the darkness comes right back in. Lights can also attract. For example, when camping on a cool night, humans normally huddle around a campfire instead of running away from it because they like its warmth, and they want to be seen, and they probably want to avoid being found by any critters out there. Now, knowing these characteristics about light, Jesus makes a profound statement in John chapter 8, verse 12. If you would, just look at the text with me. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, let me give you some background here on what is happening in this part of John, chapter 7 and chapter 8, because there's always a lot going on, either behind the scenes or in the text that we can't see, because we're not, we're not watching video, obviously. And so, what Jesus was talking about here, he was actually attending a festival in Jerusalem an annual festival that's called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, depending on your Bible translation, it may say as a subheading in your Bible, Feast of Booths or uh, Feast of the Tabernacles. Normally, Bibles will reference that at the top of page, excuse me, chapter 7. The Feast of Booths or Tabernacles uh, was established to celebrate the harvest each fall for the people of Israel and to remember God's faithfulness to their Jewish ancestors during their wilderness wanderings. Each October, Jews from all over Israel would converge on the city of Jerusalem for seven days of special events that were going to take place. Many would camp outside in booths made of tree branches in order to simulate or remember how their ancestors did not have a home when they were in the wilderness wanderings. One of the last nights of the festival, uh, on, the, on one of the last nights, excuse me, giant lamps were lit to illuminate a portion of the temple so that all of the participants could sing praises to God and dance. The lamps were intended to remind the Jews of how God had been faithful in guiding his people in the darkness of the wilderness, again, back in Numbers chapter 9. 
And the Lord also led his people during the day with a pillar of cloud. So you might be familiar with the saying from the scriptures of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So that's what these large lamps were supposed to simulate. So Jesus, and here's the first of two truths I want to share with you tonight about light in the Bible. Number one, Jesus is trying to say here, he saves sinners out of darkness into light. He saves sinners out of darkness into light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this declaration by him is the first of many I am statements in the Gospel of John, in which he used metaphors to describe his intentions or purposes for being here on earth. Now, also attending the festival were the Pharisees. They were Jesus' arch-religious enemies. The Pharisees hated him. In fact, they hated Jesus so much, they were already making plans to kill him. Now, never being one to shy away from a confrontation over truth, as the music is playing, and the people are dancing, and the lights are lit, and it's nighttime, and the festival's beginning to wrap up, it's been going on all week, Jesus is having this interaction again with the Pharisees. And he says, I am the light of the world. Just envision him pointing to one of the big lamps and the Pharisees going, oh, how dare he? Those lamps represent God guiding our ancestors through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And Jesus says, I am. You see that lamp there? I am the light of the world. Now, throughout the scriptures, darkness is used as a symbol of death, evil, ignorance, uh, Satan, and sin in, general, in a general sense. To be associated with darkness in the Bible was never a good thing. I'll just put it to you that way. You don't want to be on the darkness side, okay? You want to be on the light side. Now, to be associated with light, on the other hand, was a good thing because God used light in the scriptures to be a symbol representing him, his holiness and purity, and several other things that are positive and good. Now notice in verse uh, 12 of John 8, Jesus then adds to this declaration, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Here Jesus is referring to salvation, those who repent of their sin and by faith trust in Christ alone for their eternal salvation. But in doing so, he's, really, he's making two points. Uh, I'll call this little a. He's saying unbelievers are born in sin and live in darkness until they repent of their sin and trust in Christ for their salvation and follow him. He's also saying, I'll call it little b, Anyone who professes faith in Christ, professes to know Jesus, but continues to walk in darkness, does not really know him because they're not following him. You see it right there in verse 12. He says, whoever. So it's not limited, but on the other hand, he does restrict it some, whoever follows me. So it's, it's unlimited. Anyone can follow him doesn't matter what race you are or ethnic background or what part of the world you're from. Anyone can come to know Jesus and follow him. However, he also puts a condition on it. 
if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You will walk in the light by following him. He says then, they will have the light of life. So proof that someone has been born again is that they will love things associated with light, like God and his son Jesus and holiness and purity. And in a biblical sense, to love the things that God loves means you also hate what God hates. So those who walk in the light or have the light of life will hate sin and evil and Satan and ignorance. So Jesus is the light that shines so sinners can find their way out of darkness into a new life following him. That's what he wanted them to know. And he wants us to remember that tonight. If you would now turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Turn, just hang a left for a couple of books. And let's look at Matthew chapter 5. I want to show you something else that Jesus said about light. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest message. He's got a couple thousand people listening to him. And he gives a lengthy message on, hitting on different topics, very important ones. And during the message, one of the topics he hits on is how his followers will be different from the world. They will stand out. And so if you would look at Matthew chapter 5, as I read verses 14 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. Recognize that? We just saw him say he was the light of the world, right? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but instead on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's the second point on your outline that Jesus is making about light, and that is it saved sinners are called to be lights for the world. Saved sinners are called to be lights for the world. It's worth noting that in verse 14, you see there in your Bibles, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, referring to his followers who are listening to him on that small mountain, in the original Greek text, you is in the emphatic position. That's when scholars say that, they mean this is the most important word, or it's put up front. So you can feel, if you were there, you could feel Jesus' index finger pointing. You are the light of the world. It's as if he's saying, I was and still am the light of the world, but now that you're following me, you are also the light of the world. In his powerful and convicting book uh, called The Cost of Discipleship, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer comments on this uh, passage. Bonhoeffer was a, a Lutheran pastor during World War II in Germany, and he led an underground church uh, preaching the gospel against the Reich and stood up against Hitler and then sadly became a martyr for the faith. When he was, uh, towards the end of the war, arrested and then killed, executed for his preaching ministry. Well, Bonhoeffer, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, says, 
Jesus, when he's talking here in verses 14 to 16, he called them the light because he wanted to remove the option of whether or not to be light from his disciples. It, 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 would, it would not be something they could turn on and off like a switch when it's convenient or inconvenient. And so Bonhoeffer writes, quote, now they must be what they really are. Otherwise, they are not followers of Christ. And so light can, only, it, it can not only display and guide and warn and attract, but it can only do that if it remains distinct from darkness. You see, the contrast between the two is what makes light light and darkness darkness, right? Like, you can't see the great Christmas lights that my boys put up outside our house in the day. You got to drive by the knack house at night. And then they really pop. And so the contrast between the two is what helped make it visible. And the darker darkness gets, the brighter light becomes. Therefore, you cannot be a light for Christ if you still love darkness. And... I think those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, and those of you who are called to be lights in the world, need to remember and be encouraged that, you know, instead of complaining about how dark and how bad things are getting in our country and in the world, what if we were to look at it from Jesus' perspective and go, you know what? The darker it gets out there, the brighter my light becomes. The more I get a chance to stand out and speak for the Lord, and point people to him and give them the hope that Christ offers. And so if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you've been placed where you are by God to illuminate the way for unbelievers so they can find their way out of the dark. Thus, a Christ follower working in a classroom as a teacher is really a light disguised as a school teacher. Or a Christ follower working in the oil fields is really a light disguised as an engineer. Or a Christ follower who no longer works, just in case you thought you were off the hook if you're retired. No, you're not. If you are no longer working, you are a light living in your neighborhood disguised as a retiree. God has placed you there for a purpose. Because you have answers to questions that unbelievers are asking. Such as, why do all people have to die? And where do they go after they die? Or another question unbelievers ask, why is there so much evil in the world? And if God is so loving, why doesn't he do something about it? Or, where will I go after I die? And another question that unbelievers ask, can God fix the mess I've made of my life? You see, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have those answers, and you can be a light for him. I, I would add that this also means the believer's job is not primarily to criticize or complain about the darkness, but rather to illuminate a way out of it by pointing people to Jesus. Hint, be careful what you put on social media. Talk about the light of the world instead of the darkness 
and complaining and criticizing it. I was reminded of a, a great story I read a while ago uh, illustrating this. By, uh, it has to do with Ben Franklin. He wanted to interest the city of Philadelphia during his lifetime in getting night street lighting. Can you imagine living in a town where there were no, there were no street lights? They hadn't been invented yet. And so he didn't have to exhaust himself, Mr. Franklin, talking a lot about the need for it. Instead, he was very shrewd. He hung a beautiful lantern on a long bracket next to his front door, just out on his porch. And then he kept the lantern polished and hung it carefully each night at dusk. And then, over the course of time, word spread about Franklin's new porch light. And citizens, as they were walking to go to whatever their social engagement was that evening, or maybe they were going to or from the store or going home, they began to take Franklin Street because it had light on it instead of the other streets, which did not. Citizens preferred this because they not only felt safer, they also could see potholes and other obstacles in their way. Because you've got to remember, there were no such things such as flashlights back then. There were no iPhones with a light that you could flip on. It wasn't long before Franklin's neighbors began installing lamps on their front doors. And so eventually, over the course of time, the entire street was lit up. You see, most people who are walking in the dark are naturally attracted to light, if it's a good light. But they will only come if you let your light shine. Which brings us to our big idea for today. Jesus and his followers are the perfect lights for a dark world. Jesus and his followers are the perfect lights for a dark world. And so I just have to ask, is your world getting dark? Are you having difficulty finding your way in life? Then I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so, to give your heart to the light of the world. Give your heart to Jesus Christ so he can show you the way and illuminate it for you. You can do this very simply. You don't have to have your life together. In fact, as I mentioned in a message recently, uh, all Christ followers, genuine Christ followers, were falling apart when they met Jesus, and the only one holding them together now is Jesus. So don't buy that myth that the evil one likes to spread, that lie that you got to get some things in order first before you become a Christ follower. No, instead, you just have to simply voice a prayer like this from the sincerity of your heart. Jesus, I agree with you that I am a sinner that needs to be saved. Would you please forgive my sin? I want to stop chasing my sin and start following you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose again three days later so that I could be forgiven and have eternal life. And if you voice a simple prayer like that from the sincerity of your heart, God's word promises you will receive the best set of Christmas gifts only God could give. Forgiveness, peace with God, access to him in prayer, a secure relationship with him, 
and eternal life and so much more. If you have questions about how to begin a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to visit with you after the service. I'm always available to do that. But for now, would you join me as we close in prayer? We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.